Hi, good afternoon and welcome to Boom It's on the Blockchain. We are back for series three of this exciting podcast where we talk about energy, we talk about blockchain, we talk about Bitcoin, we talk about NFTs. We're available on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. And today we are joined by our new host. Let's bring him in. Garrett, how's it going, Garrett? Good. How are you doing, Alistair? Great. So Garrett is out in Texas in Austin. How's the weather in Austin today, Garrett? I would say it's pretty good. It's um, you know, blue skies. It's been a little bit rainy um the past couple days, but you know, it's it's definitely a beautiful day out today. Okay, perfect. So, so for this new series, Boom, it's on the blockchain. Obviously, we're going to bring in guests. Um, we'll have the other hosts, Dave Rogers and Shep, will be coming in throughout the series. But just to kick this one off and to introduce Garrett, what we're going to do is we're going to do a bit of an overview of our pro- uh, project, uh, Energy Tokens, and we're going to kick that off today with Energy Ledger. And this is the project that Garrett's been involved in, where he's tracking CO2 emissions of oil projects on the blockchain. And essentially, we're going to work together to make green oil. I know all the renewable green people will not be happy with this, but this is our plan. Green oil, ladies and gentlemen. So let me uh, just hand over to you, Garrett. Yeah, so um, you know, thanks for having me on, and I really look forward to um, you know hosting more of these boomits on the blockchain with you, Alistair. Um, you know, we've got something really cool we put together. Um, you know, Energy Ledger is the blockchain for energy trade. You know, we put together um, a piece of software to solve this problem. You know, the fact that you know three billion dollars worth of oil goes missing in Texas every year, um, and you know the fact is uh, kind of in the appendix slide. Um, So, you know, emissions tracking is um, not even done on the oil that makes it through the value chain. So there's these two major problems here, um, you know, that we're addressing with a software solution, which is to um, utilize a blockchain to track CO2 emissions through batch tracking, you know, kind of like um, it's like Oracle NetSuite or it's like, um, you know, SAP. Um, SAP, but for just tracking emissions, um, being able to purchase offsets for those emissions, and then finally being able to show shareholders of company, you know, hey, we tracked our emissions and we offset them, you know, with rainforest projects, uh, you know, with biodiesel, things like that. So that's really our goal. Um, you know, the, the tokenomics of it are, um, you know, there's you know, a, a, a token plan that we had built into the software, you know, it's open source, allowing the company to deploy it to their needs. So, um, you know, your company can take what we built, you know, right now and um, literally for free, go and fork it on GitHub, improve upon it, fortify it and make it, you know, fit the needs of the business. Um, so that's a really nice thing for a lot of companies that, you know, they're, spending maybe a lot of money more than they should, you know, um, on other solutions, but this is free. Um, and if you have a software team, they will be able to understand it because the documentation is great. It's written in react JS. Um, so it's, it's wonderful. I think, I think going back to that slide there, I think it's, um, 
what's interesting for like oil operators out there. So, you know, some of the stuff Garrett's spoken about there is, but if you're a small to medium size oil operator, just to make you aware that, you know, uh, we're looking to work with Garrett to introduce this software, you know, when he's making it open source, What's interesting there is that's basically going to have it so anybody can actually access this. Yes. So, and then the other thing is if you're a small operator, you know, Garrett can work with you to install this and get your pumpers to go and start updating information for that. And essentially they can do this from their mobile phone for in terms of well data analysis, stuff like that. Yeah. And actually, you know, one of the really cool things here, Alistair, that I've thought about a little bit is I know energy tokens has went out and, you know, deployed, you know, utility and, you know, other kind of tokens for operators. And those tokens, uh, the beauty of it and the beauty of the software being open source, they can all plug in, you know, this is uh, EVM compatible. So any, um, you know, Ethereum based blockchain, you know, uh, you know, that's not just Ethereum, that's uh, Avalanche, Binance, Smart Chain, all of these, you know, you could take any token and plug it in to work with this. So... So for anyone, you know, so anyone out there that's looking to create their own token to essentially, we'll talk about it in my yeah. slide, but, but what's interesting for people to understand is that, you know, Garrett's prepared to go out there. We are looking for customers to test this out. You're a small, medium sized operator. You're out there trying to raise capital for your next project. Private equity money's coming out of the projects right now. I'll speak about that later. You know, you're looking for every advantage you get, you know, speak to Garrett, get him to come in. And then essentially he'll track your CO2 emissions on a blockchain of all your oil project. And as he says, you know, you'll be able to take this, offset this. So essentially investors out there, private family offices, they're looking to invest in green projects or they're looking to invest in oil projects with small CO2 emissions. So you can actually take this, track the CO2 emissions and then do the offsets. So all your investors out there, they're essentially investing in an oil project that has net zero CO2 emissions. And I think that's what's so interesting for a lot of small to medium sized operators and the big operators there as well. They want to be able to use this type of technology as well. Yeah, it's, you know, it's very, very impressive. You know, there's, um, it's feature rich, you know, it's, um, and the best part about it is being able to take it as a small company, as a large company. Um, you know, this is kind of, you know, my gift to the industry, but even greater, um, you know, we're, you know, I know I'm looking for opportunities, you know, we're looking for work here, you know, where we can go out and help implement this and, you know, act as a consultant. And I know Alistair has done, you know, energy tokens. I'm more on the software side like this. Uh, you know, if you're a company looking to build your own token and you're looking to, you know, have all of these features that come along with a blockchain token, this is for you. So yeah. I, I guess it's, it's we'll taken it to, yeah, it's taken to the next level in terms yeah. of the information side of things, I think as well, which is key. And I think the oil industry, when they're looking to adopt a new technology, you know, oil price is over a hundred dollars a barrel. You know, everyone I speak to in the Illinois basin right now, it's just like, these guys are working from like five o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. They are just working constantly right now because they're trying to pump as much oil, put as much in because, you know, as they say to me, let me, let's make hay 
when the sun shines and the sun yeah. is shining for all these small companies. But, you know, there's problems and there's things going forward. But this type of technology is here for the long term. And this is just the start of it. So it's super interesting from that perspective. So, yeah, just continue with the, the presentation. Gary. Yeah, I, I kind of jumped in here, um, you know, to the next piece. But, you know, I really like to use Shell as an example here. It's the best, best example in the whole industry uh, because, you know, there's 79,000 employees at Shell, 16.5 thousand of them work in carbon reduction. And, you know, Oracle says that on average, 26% of their company's workers use their ERP software. So let's say if we just look at the carbon reduction department, and if 25% of that staff used our, you know, energy operating system that we built here, that would, you know, yield a potential, um, you know, $2 million revenue if they used ours, you know, at $500 a user, but, you know, wipe that away. They can literally fork this, you know, and take it, build their own thing and kind of build their own model to make it viable within their organization. It's open source. Um, you know, so that's a really cool thing. And, you know, we are, um, you know, obviously we want to come in and we want to be able to um, act as a consultant to implement this. So we're very open minded as to, you know, how we can get this in, you know, companies who need it, get it in their hands. Um, and where we really stand to benefit is we'll kind of get into that next. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and you think of Shell trying to reduce emissions by 45% by 2030. It's like, th these are have to be done by pilot projects. So we're not telling companies like they are, oh, well, this is what you've got to do is, yeah. you know, and there's other companies out there and they're charging a lot of money for what Garrett's created. And what's interesting, what Garrett's doing is he's just making this open source so everyone can sort of access this. So it's like, you're not, if, so if you're a small to medium-sized company and understand, yeah, you're not Shell, you don't have the digitization departments, you don't have 100,000 people globally working for your company, but you've got a small company, you might have three, four, five guys, you produce 50 to 100 barrels a day, you know, even less than that. You can actually speak to Garrett. Garrett will come in and he'll basically set this up and test it so you can track your CO2 emissions on your 50 barrels a day. And what's interesting and what people will be able to find out is the CO2 emissions for producing essentially oil in these small domestic basins in the States is so much less than, you know, big oil when it's getting produced out in the Middle East. And people need to understand that or the way they're producing gas out in Russia. It's like it's completely different. So you, you yep. might be thinking, oh, well, I don't have the time. I don't have the charge. But the secret and the beauty of what Garrett's created here is he's created something whereby we can do this on a small project by project basis and then scale it out from there. So pilot projects, you don't even have to do all your operations. You can just start with one field, 10 wells. Let's go in, let's track the wells, let's see what happens over a monthly basis. And then you've got data, you've got information. What's interesting about Garrett does as well is he can actually feed a page onto your website. So, you know, he can set it up, we can go in, we can create a live stream on your own website. It'll be the most interesting page on your website against all your competitors in the basin. You'll be able to show the CO2 emissions getting tracked. And I, I certainly know even in domestic basins, if you go into places like Illinois, where, you know, emissions 
Americans are getting pushed harder than the likes of India and Kentucky, you know, essentially anyone who's producing oil in Illinois, you do something like this and you're going to basically be a step ahead of the other 200 operators in the basin. And when you're out looking for capital to invest in your next project, you can show them this information. You're able to track the CO2 emissions and they might decide to fund your project and someone else's. And that's taken it down to a granular level, which I think is interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it's um, you know, what what we've built here is um, you know, it is for those small operators. That's who we had in mind. You know, I went and did you know a lot of market research with uh, you know, Tipro, which is Texas Independent Producers and Royalty Owners. We did a lot of research to see what these companies need, and ultimately, at a very simple level, for the small level producer what we've replaced is pen and paper for a lot of the small guys. And we have the added benefit of it costs you nothing. Everybody, all your employees already have a cell phone. It's easy to get started. You know, you know, why use pen and paper when everybody already has a cell phone? Um, but it's interesting to look at the cause and effect too. You know, it wasn't just the Dutch government coming down on shell. It was the shareholders feeling, you know, that, uh, you know, emissions weren't, being met emissions targets weren't being met and then requesting that the dutch government you know kind of uh force shell to cut emissions so there was cause and effect and by tracking those emissions you know even small guys it could help you raise money it can also help you um you know avoid having you know some of the issues that shell did or having you know administrations like um you know the biden administration you know take you know, preemptive action that maybe they think is good for climate change, but it's very bad for the economy and for small businesses like yours. Um, you know, if we jump in, you know, the market opportunity that we kind of are addressing is, you know, there's global ERP market, you know, and oil and gas carbon offsets. That's if you take, you know, all the carbon and were to offset it from the top 10 oil and gas producers, our serviceable market is supply chain ERP plus voluntary carbon offsets. So that's what companies are willing to step up and, you know, offset combined with, you know, supply chain ERP. And then, you know, in three years, I envision that it's possible for, you know, energy sustainability ERP and 10%, you know, the voluntary carbon offset market to be, you know, a $1.88 billion opportunity, you know, and these are um, coming from statistics that I, you know, was able to, kind of dig up on all of this stuff. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal really speaks for here. The money is in carbon credits. Um, you know, the top 10 oil companies represent 630 million tons of carbon emissions. And, you know, current shareholder sentiment of companies like Shell will create, you know, a $283.5 billion voluntary market um, amongst these companies, because companies will opt, I believe, with higher oil prices to, you know, contribute to buying credits. You know, you could see the increase for credits has been almost a 10x in five years, which is crazy. Um, and it's, you know, becoming more and more viable for companies like, um, you know, Shell, BP, Chevron, Exxon to offset their emissions. And that's what we have right here. Um, you know, we're essentially, you know, selling, you know, these carbon credits. We've worked with a great um, partner called YE Planet. These credits are, you know, under contract for us to, you know, sell and, you know, take 
a commission on them. Um, and you know, the, the pricing on this is a little bit different. They're actually even willing to go lower than the, the, you know, basically the, um, national average, which is $30. Um, and these are, these are credits that are on the gold standard. I literally got the confirmation today from our, um, partner at YE and they're saying that, you know, basically, you know, if you go on the gold, gold standard website, which is the carbon credit certification, um, authority, you're able to see that YE planet and these credits are, you know, they are, um, certified. These are actual products, projects, um, down there. They have a farm, you know, in Honduras creating ingredients for biodiesel and then also, you know, rainforest restoration. Um, these are checked off by the government of Honduras and now the gold standards. So, um, you know, our, our mission is to put software to track the emissions, have companies be able to get an idea of, Hey, this is how much carbon we put out there and then choose on their own accord, you know, to offset at least a portion of that, you know, and then we have, um, some great deals, you know, you could talk to me, um, and uh, get in touch with me and we have some great deals on these carbon credits you know thirty dollars is just the average um you know as you can see the european market's already at 44 euros um you know we're looking to you know be very very aggressive with um our strategy and you know selling these offsets um you know to be because it's you know really advantageous to the projects and the people in honduras and the job creation um and it's also advantageous to just getting people to get an idea of how much uh, carbon they're emitting. And if you look at these, um, the impact of these programs, you know, they've helped restore rainforest to 77.8% in municipalities like San Ignacio, which you could see here. Uh, bosque means forest. So that's a 77.8% forest. And then the, the yellow and red areas are agricultural and urban. Um, and why you plan, it's very cool. You know, these guys have been absolutely great with us. I've, you know, run around the state of Texas kind of, um, you know, trying to keep in touch with them and, you know, uh, you know, keep things moving forward. You could check out yeplanet.com uh, as well, but you know, they're, you know, they've spent a lot of time on this opportunity and it's genius. Um, you know, they operate across 40 plus municipalities in Honduras, Mexico, and Nicaragua. And, when they started doing this, they took this dip period. This is when they built up all these projects. They saw this the opportunity over 10 years ago and they, you know, kept their head down and built all through here. And now look where we are. You know, there's a huge opportunity for carbon credits. And this, you know, weaves in really nicely to our business model because our business model is to provide an enterprise resource planning for emissions data, which is, you know, the ERP solution that we open source, it's free. But then we make money on the carbon credits, you know, helping onboard these credits onto the blockchain um, and, you know, essentially offering them to those who um, want them or need them. And, uh, you know, we let these carbon credits producers fractionalize a bulk certificate. We connect them to these offsetting opportunities, you know, uh, emissions offsetting opportunities. We're able to make, you know, money off of, you know, ERP users, um, not the software itself, but the users, and then we make a percent on each offset sold or transferred. So that's really cool. 
Um, and you were you were just out in Saudi Arabia there just now, weren't you, Garrett? So yes. tell us a little bit about going to Saudi Arabia and then talking about your project and what their thoughts are, because obviously Saudi Aramco and Saudi Arabia is the biggest oil producer in the world. Yeah, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia and, you know, all of the ambition that they, you know, have for their vision 2030, you know, we wanted to be able to offer them. It's very different how they work. Aramco works in a very different way. It's a um, country, you know, not a company at the end of the day. And uh, they're working on a really cool software right now called Archie, which is, you know, kind of more of a um, geographical map oriented software. And we believe that the data assurance piece of blockchain, you know, the ERP solution we built um, can be utilized by them. You know, they have a lot more development might. Um, it's a huge company. And I actually earlier in the week passed off, um, you know, the ERP code um, you know, to the whole community. And I sent the links to, um, you know, some folks that I have met over there. Um, and, you know, they said that they would take a look at it, which is really, really mm -hmm. cool. Um, so just putting but, it in their hands to at least look at it and get some ideas. Um, it's, it's yeah, cool. And the fact that you're going out to the Middle East and you're letting them see that these processes in place, I think, you know, if you look back to the the image there about the carbon offsets, you know, so you're yeah. thinking about when you get in an airplane right now. So for anyone's getting a plane, now you've got an option to offset your carbon emissions. You know, Rory McIlroy, you know, the famous golfer, yep. you know, yeah. he could not sleep at night, ladies and gentlemen, because he said he could not sleep at night because he makes $100 million a year and he flies around the world in his private jet. And he can't offset his carbon emissions. But now, because he buys his carbon credits with his $100 million he makes every year for his private jet, he sleeps like a baby. So if you think, if it, if it works for Rory McIlroy, it can work for the entire oil industry. But yeah. really, what you're doing is something very similar. But that's very positive, because it's also the fact that you're prepared to go out there and offer a software that other companies are wanting to charge a lot of money to, you know, the, the people are wanting to charge essentially hundreds of thousands of dollars to essentially get software like Garrett's coming in there. And what's interesting about and budgets are tight, we are prepared for you to come out there and do that. So that's really interesting as well. So it's like, and then you'll be able to offset it and then you'll be able to do this. And, you know, everyone's pushing to become green or net zero. You know, suddenly if you think you can become net zero, and then I know already in places like Illinois, where there's a lot of oil and gas still produced in Illinois, you know, utilizing something like Garrett's, you know, we're going to speak to the Illinois government. I, I was at the Illinois Oil and Gas Association's AGM. I was speaking to someone who's involved in the government there who actually goes around and checks the emissions right now of each oil well to ensure they're below a certain level because we can't just have this thing. So these things are regulated anyway. All Garrett's doing is taking this information, putting it on a blockchain, tracking it so everyone else can see what's actually happening. And you might be spending a lot of money already ensuring that you're complying with standards. What this does is it puts it out into sort of the metaverse or the universe or on the internet for everyone to see. And then you're able to offset it. So suddenly your shareholders, investors, future projects, they see you going down the route. And then because you're going down this route, and this is towards small and 
oil operators. You know, you need to raise capital going forward. You're going to go down this route. Therefore, if you're taking the lead and everyone else in the basin, therefore, you know, there's only so much money to go around. There's only so much private equity. There's only so much investment money and energy projects going forward in the U.S., and utilizing something like Garrett's created, which is a cost-effective way to show that you're being net zero in your oil production, gives you a lead over all the other sort of small to medium-sized operators. And that's what's so interesting about his business model. Yeah, it's um, that. That's what we're out to do is you know share a you know an open source <clears throat> you know piece of software that helps companies get ahead and help them. Um, basically not become the coal industry because the coal industry is backed into a corner where um you know i i you know look back to a trip i did to north dakota over a year ago and you know the tone there is it's grim they can't raise money um you know they they're unable to raise money to you know burn the coal because you know wall street has completely lost interest um, whereas oil, there's, um, you know, I, I like to compare oil to um, kind of the story of George Washington Carver, you know, and the, um, you know, how he found 400 different uses for peanuts. Um, you know, oil is just like the peanut, you know, in the case of George Washington Carver, and you can find 400 different uses for it. And it not all of them necessarily produces much carbon and there is a future for oil and i also believe that there's an equilibrium where we use as much as we offset so yeah perfect okay so that, that's been great this is a deep dive from uh Garrett there into his project and we'll be speaking about it each week and as we get customers start utilizing that as well you know and, and you start speaking about coal there as well and I noticed we got three people up there and the minute you mentioned the word coal they all left Garrett you know what I mean we're not allowed to mention that word on this uh, podcast but you know you think of like what's happening in the world right now with CO2 emissions it's like during lockdown the world closed down essentially, I think it was 171 coal plants during, you know, from lockdown to now, yeah. you know, um, China's opened, I think, 179 and India's opened 51. So, yeah. you know, we, we can talk about what we're doing right now. We want to go to this green economy, but essentially... Uh, India and China and other countries are opening coal plants and they're huge coal plants that are creating massive amounts of CO2 emissions. And that's it. And these coal plants are used to produce the product that we require. So it's not like, let's yep. stop blaming China and India for stuff. It's like they are the world's factory. We are placing the orders with them. So we're sending yep. orders out there, you know, Nike, Apple, 94% of all Apple products. So see this yep. thing right now, this is made from coal. You know, yeah. I know people out there that this is made from coal. So people need to understand that 94% of all products made by Apple are made from coal. Yeah. Power. And even the, this is actually a really fun story. You know, I, when I went up to meet with these coal guys in North Dakota, they love Tesla. Tesla is the best thing that's happened to coal since, you know, the industrial revolution. Um, they, because, you know, most of the grid, even though they're, you know, the U.S. is being hyper aggressive under the Biden administration towards coal, uh, coal is what powers most of our electric grid. And every time you go to plug in that Tesla, uh, the coal industry, they love that because, you know, they're the ones essentially behind the electric production. Um, 
you know, for uh, that car. It's, yeah, it's well, San Diego is all gas. It's like, so I'm in San yeah. Diego, it's all gas. San Diego can't get green unless they do massive offshore wind turbines. Yeah. San Diego will not go green unless we go to microgrid levels because essentially all the land where they put the big onshore wind turbines here are protected. So you can't just stick up these massive big onshore wind turbines here. I was speaking to professors at SDSU, and they reckon the best way for San Diego to be go green is to build a huge uh, solar plant in Tijuana and take their green energy and fire it back. And I'm not joking. They're actually out looking for money for this, by the way, right now, people. And, oh, well, that's great, San Diego. So we're going to go green by stealing Mexican renewable energy. We're not going to steal it. We're going to basically pay for it in yeah. terms of build it. But essentially, it's their renewable energy, and we're going to bring it back here. It's like we're trying to push green, but we need to understand, you know, energy going forwards an energy mix. And we're going to move away from using the combustion engine for driving. We're going to switch mm -hmm. to these electrical vehicles. But we're still going to need oil for the 4,000 products we use it for, for things like plastic. And you have, people need to understand that as we actually go out and continue to buy product from China and India that's manufactured using coal power, like all your Nike stuff is made from coal. Yep. If you buy a Nike product, my, my little son, uh, Phoenix, he's seven, he, he loves Nike, he loves Adidas, it's all the coolest stuff, he even gets Metaverse Nike stuff and that, it's just like little digital clothes is all coming in, because it's the cool brand that you want, yeah. and that brand's made, if you go to Walmart, if it says made in China, and it says made in India, and it says made in Vietnam, people, that's made from coal. You know, we need to bring everything back into America and manufacture it using renewable energy. Because people need to think past this. They can't just blame the oil companies for everything. It's not going to solve it if we continue to buy all our product that's manufactured from coal. And then the regulations are out there. They're not going to basically hire in Gannett software to see how many CO2 emissions the, the 170 new coal plants are creating out there. It's, that's not going to happen there as well. So, you know, stuff that we're talking about here is about energy transition, and that's what's exciting for this. So yeah. let me just let, go on to our project now as well, then, Garrett. So I'm just going to Yeah, add jump in there. there. And, uh... Yeah, and you can ask questions there as well. Let's see if I can. Uh... Yeah, so this is the, the, the energy tokens um, uh, model itself. What we're doing is, let's see if I can. Am I able to get on? Oh. So, so let, let's go back to the problem that we are trying to solve with energy tokens. So, so essentially the way energy assets, oil and gas assets have been acquired, held and transferred has not changed for over 100 years. So if you think about it as the technology in oil production, the technology and essentially all types of energy production has moved forward so fast during this time period. But the way we've actually acquired the interest, held the interest and transferred interest is still the same way we've done it. So if you buy an interest in an oil project, it has to be updated in the courthouse. You have to get the documentation put in place that has to transfer. And, you know, and, you know, I've acquired interest through our company's eye and we own interests in now in 90 oil wells that are producing across America. These are fractional interests. But some of these interests we've acquired, it's taken us six to eight weeks to get transferred into the company's name since we bought it. And that's how long the process takes people. So that's part of the problem that we're trying to solve. 
So just to go over what an oil project structure is, and I'm talking about the Illinois Basin, I'm talking about domestic oil projects, but this is to let people understand how it's structured. So, and then we'll talk about renewable energy in a second as well. So currently, if you look at the Illinois Basin, um, about an eighth is usually held by the farmer. So that's 12.5% is owned by the farmer. So the first oil that gets sold, the landowner gets 12.5%. So that essentially is 77.5% split between everyone else in the, um, the project. The operator, generally, they obviously own it, but they're looking for investors to invest in the project. So unless they're going to run the whole project themselves, they're looking for outside investors. So we'll just say 40% is held by the operator at that point. So that's 40 plus uh, 12 and a half, 52 and a half. And then say the management team takes another two and a half because they're always getting stuff. So that'll be up to like 55%. So then you're looking at 45% of the project to get funded is from outside investors. Now, currently the way it works is you've got sort of corporate management, you know, you get mutual funds, pension funds, IRAs buying into this, you get institutional investors, and then you get individual investors. But these indi individual investors Investors are usually accredited investors. So this is people with a net worth of over a million dollars out with their property or earn over 200K a year. So the, the only people who invest in these projects right now, it's very, very niche. So you've got this massive asset class in America that's essentially been running all these companies. You think of Exxon, Chevron, and then you go down to the, all the small uh, independent oil companies, and then you go all the way down to Zion, which is probably the smallest oil operator in all of America. <laughs> but we're still an operator, though. So we've gone all through that process. So basically, you've got all these companies, but to you to invest in that, unless you're from the oil and gas sector, unless you've got high net worth, and unless you have some sort of relation to the operator, you're never going to be able to invest into those projects as well. And normally, they're looking for you to invest around about 50000 per project. And from that percentage there, you're basically looking to ensure that... Um, they get, you know, the, the, this is the structure of these projects themselves. So let's look at the problems for the energy producing access. So right now it's all broken down by percentages. So when we say it's difficult to sell and buy fractional interests, so essentially you're putting your 50K in for 1% of the project, you know. Uh, right now, direct investments are made through private negotiated transactions. So again, this isn't like it's out there for people to invest in these projects. You've got to have a relation to the op relationship to the operator or someone else who's raising capital to fund these projects Otherwise, you're not going to get in. Non-industry investors have limited access to these investments. So, you know, unless you've got a cert, unless you're involved in the industry, how are you going to invest? If you go to NAEP, which is the essentially the, the exhibition and conference that's in Houston every with the air, that they do all the sort of independent oil projects in Houston and Texas and in Oklahoma, et cetera. They try and raise capital at event. It's $650 a ticket just to get in the room. So if you need $650 in a ticket to get in the room, let alone how much money you've got to speak to this guy to invest in the project. So this is what we're talking about this. But then we're talking about the limited liquidity opportunities by holders for non-controlling interests prior to the sale of the entire asset. So by that, what I mean is if you own this 1% of this project, you're essentially buying into an asset for a 20-year life cycle that's going to give you distributions. The problem you've got is 
if you wanted to sell that 1%, it's very, very difficult. Who do you sell it to? What's the value of this project? So where do you sell it? So these are problems you're going to face anyway. So you're essentially buying an asset that you know you're going in for the long term, you're not going to be able to sell. If we're talking about the legal conveyance mechanism is antiquated through filings in local land registries. Right now, the way they do it, like the very first slide, is the way they used to always do it. It's not changed at all, ladies and gentlemen. So it's like you're still investing into this process. So this is where blockchain tokenization and what we're doing is going to fast forward this part of the industry. And I think the final point, you know, I've just added this slide today, but, the, you know, because when you got it, it was coming on. Private equity firms and, you know, energy uh, related uh, banks who are reluctant to invest in upstream oil and gas projects due to the large amount of government policy that's been put in place right now. So you've got people like BlackRock who essentially were funding all this sort of projects. I think it was 12% of all independent energy projects they were funding. They are now not going to fund any new drilling projects in America. They'll invest in upstream, they'll invest in current production, but they won't invest in new drilling projects. So suddenly private equity companies no longer want to put the, uh, uh, money into these projects, even though they're going to get a good payoff, especially with the oil prices high. Uh, in 2018, um, there was $220 billion in private equity money put into independent energy projects in America. Last year, you know, okay, it was part of COVID, but you're still, you know, it was down to $19 billion. So that's a huge drop. So there's like a gap of where the funding for future projects are coming in. And this is where our project's interesting. And that's interesting because of what Garrett's doing. Because these guys are now, look, if you're an operator and you're hearing that um, information from me there, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I have found it difficult to fund projects. And this guy's telling me that essentially it's dropped by, you know, 200%, 300%. It's just like crazy amount that's dropped in. Where's the money going to come from for future projects? So this is where by doing what Garrett's suggesting you do, track your CO2 emissions, offset it, have a net zero oil production for that 20 billion that's available for independent energy projects, your know, family offices out there on top of that, you might be able to reach out to them and they'll invest in it because of that reason. But this is where the project of tokenization and blockchain becomes of interest because suddenly where's this money going to come from going forward? And I believe it's going to come from the crypto community and the NFT community. So this is where what we're doing, this is our solution of tokenizing energy assets on the blockchain. So the first thing is you're democratizing energy investment opportunities. So the way it works now is we take all the assets and we drop it into the token and people own part of this token. So what's interesting about that is if this token now goes onto an ATS and opens up, anyone who's got a, a wallet, a Coinbase wallet, will be able to buy into an energy project for the first time. So you're taking it from a very selective audience to essentially everyone out there can invest into this types of energy projects. It creates liquidity for a liquid and energy investment. So you're thinking, right, I've got a mature asset. I'm an operator. This is from an operator's perspective now. I've got a mature asset. It's difficult to sell on. It's on a depleted decline curve. How can I actually get money that's tied into this? If you take that asset, drop it into a token, you tokenize the project, you can start to sell us in fractional interests out there and start to release the capital. And you can remain the operator like all of them want to do. So they still want to operate the well. They just don't want to have all their cash tied into it. And this is what tokenization will allow. 
And then the final one is it facilitates access to new capital for energy development projects. And I think as I spoke about private equity, you know, the blockchain and what we're doing, I think that's what's exciting about this as well. So this is what we're calling it. You can't even see the top, which sort of spoils it a bit later. It's an energy F NFST tokenization project. So what are we calling these things is, so everyone knows about NFTs, a non-fungible token. What this is, is a non-fungible security token. So it's different. If you think of a non-fungible token, this is a security. So if you think of non-fungible token backed against digital assets, you're backed against this, you know, digital art, the, the apes that are going out there. This is an NFT. This is an ape. It's a piece of digital art. How is it worth millions of dollars? This is a digital representation of it. You can have fractional ownership or you can own the whole thing. Essentially, without putting too much, it's a bit more to it than this. What we're doing is a similar type process under a non-fungible security token, but we're actually backing this against physical assets. So this is backed against the physical assets of an energy project. So how does it actually work? Well, we take the energy assets, we take this, and then this information is analyzed. So we're working with another company that provides software that actually analyzes oil and gas projects now to get valuations. So that's not going to change. That part of the process will remain the same. This information is going to be available to investors. So it's going to be a bit more than you're going to get in an NFT. So when these things are going live and someone creates an NFST, an oil operator, they're going to have masses of information for investors to be able to understand the project, what's the potential upside, what's the downside. And essentially, that's going to be recorded on the blockchain. So then this NFCFT, what will it provide the token holders? Well, because it's a security token, it's going to go through an SEC regulated transfer agent. It's going to go through an SEC regulated broker dealer. It's going to be an SEC regulated ATS, alternative trading system. So what happens is we're not tokenizing oil, we're tokenizing the NFST. So that's what it is. And then the equity interest, that's what you own. So you own part of this energy project. Now, the difference between this and a cryptocurrency is a cryptocurrency you're buying, you know, it's just moving up and down in price. You're trying to make money. Maybe it's an asset class you want to hold on for the long term when institutional investors and you get day traders who are just basically trading Bitcoin, trying to play the margins and make money off it every day. For an NFST, essentially, you're going to want to hold on to this asset as long as possible because it's going to give you distributions. So every quarter, so in the way, same way a cryptocurrency doesn't give you distributions, an NFST will give you distribution based on the energy it's produced. So whether it's oil or whether it's um, renewable energy, doesn't matter what the project is, as it produces energy and starts to go to the market space with that, you'll get distributions based on that. And what's interesting about what's happening here is that distributions will end up going back to you in the form you've invested into it. So if you've invested in one of these NFTs in Bitcoin, you can ask for your distributions to come back to you in Bitcoin. If you do it through Ethereum, you can get it back in Ethereum. You can double up and get more of the tokens themselves, or you can get US dollars or euros. So this is where the technology is changing and what we're looking to do. So if an oil operator is looking at this and says, well, I quite like the idea of this, but how do I control it? Well, you know, the, the NFST is a new entity that you've created. So essentially, the assets are dropped into the new entity. You own the new entity to begin with, you know, 
And then you're selling off a fractional interest and you've got the smart contract set up for that. And that's what's interesting about the whole process. Now, you know, we've been working on this, I think, back in since 2018, 2019. It was only at the end of November last year, the first ATSs that are coming online that are going to be able to trade these tokens themselves. So... That's why it's only, and that's, you know, talking end November, December, it's only now there's a few more tokens starting to trade in ATSs. And for these sort of oil and energy tokens to go forward, it's going to be adoption to the market space. So this isn't something that's just going to, you've missed the boat, people. It's just starting out. And this is something you've got to be aware of. And for people out there who are in the crypto space and who do NFTs, They'll look at this and, you know, we can let you have a look at our white paper that we wrote with the University of Columbia and Michigan and Florida about the process itself and tokenization of financial assets and also our overview document and energy tokens so they can understand the difference between an NFST and an NFT. But because they understand the concept, they'll be able to understand this as well. The final thing, I've got a picture of Dave Rogers here as well. He doesn't like to be involved in anything in our company apart from renewable energy stuff. But our CTO, Dave Rogers, you know, he's looking at renewable energy. And what's interesting about what Energy Tokens is doing is that we're going to be able to do this for all energy projects. So what's exciting and going forward is for a renewable energy project. So you think, yeah, I want to be green. And I want to invest in renewable energy. But okay, right, today, go out online and see how you can invest in a wind farm. You can't. You can't invest in the asset of a wind farm. It's nearly impossible. Because how do you do that? You know, you can buy shares in Tesla. We spoke about that. You can buy shares in other companies that make wind energy projects. You can invest in a company that makes that. But the wind energy project itself, like the wind farm, how can I own fractional interest for a wind farm? So for all these energy operators out there, they're looking to raise capital for their energy projects. And we were talking about someone like Shell and BP, et cetera. They're doing wind farms. They're doing solar farms right now. If they can tokenize, and nobody knows about it because they just think they're the bad guys. But they're the guys involved in this transition in energy people, you know. Um, but if they could basically take 5% of their wind farm, tokenize it, create a token for that, for retail investment, and then everyone out there could invest in own part of this wind farm. And as this wind farm generates electricity, every quarter you can get distributions of that. So suddenly you're at home thinking, well, wait a minute, I'd love to own part of a wind farm. I'm doing a bit for this transition in energy. I've actually invested in a couple of Kickstarter projects, which are just sort of, there's no return in it. It's just basically giving some money to somebody for this idea. What you can do with this type of uh, mechanism with an energy token and our, you know, NFST is this ability to own fractional interest in an energy project that's generating renewable energy. And as it sells electricity to the grid and uh, the grid pays them per quarter, you can get distributions based on that as well. And this is why Garrett and I are working together because it sort of complements each other in our projects. Because essentially what he's doing is he's out tracking the CO2 emissions against these projects as well. So every customer that we're going to bring into this project, we're going to want to get them to install Garrett's software. So we're tracking the CO2 emissions and we're going to have this thing so data driven that anyone can go out there 
and they can look at this energy token and they go, like, this guy's creating this much CO2 emissions. This guy is tracking it. He's offsetting it. Yeah, I want to invest in this token, not only because of the returns, because that project is net zero. And that's what's interesting and in what's happening out there. And this is whereby there's lots of software in the blockchain space. And that's why I believe the blockchain is going to be key for this transition in energy that we're all looking to do going forward. So let me go back to that. So, so that's me and Garrett sort of just ran down both of our projects. Anything else you want to add for that then, Garrett? Well, yeah, those are some great ideas there. And it was very cool when you kind of delved into the fact that, you know, if somebody wants to buy interest in a wind farm, they can't do it. You know, and this type of technology opens up the door for people to be able to do that. You know, there's... Um, it's kind of crazy if you look at something like uh, Bitcoin and everything that came, the ideas that came before Bitcoin. You know, there was almost 20 years of ideas um, that kind of led up to Bitcoin's creation. You know, hash cash, e-gold, um, you know, there were a bunch of white pa papers written. And then eventually, you know, in 2008, 2009, you know, we landed on Bitcoin, which was the materialization of that. This is the same thing with, um, you know, blockchain in energy. It's the same exact thing. There's a huge opportunity here. And eventually people will arrive, um, you know, at a solution that is like the uh, it's the Bitcoin of energy. Um and, um, you know, I, I see you added green Bitcoin mining on there. That's a huge thing for some investors in Bitcoin is that the coins that they buy were produced through a green Bitcoin mining operation, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's fascinating to see how different opinions and uh, feelings towards, uh, you know, the advancement of that software is starting to kind of take interest in energy. Yeah, yeah, and the reason I brought up green Bitcoin mining, which I think is of interest to people as well, is the fact that the reason Bitcoin mining, for people to understand, is this reason why this is produced by coal, you know? Yeah. It's exactly the same reason, people, is like all the Bitcoin mining was done in China, basically, right next to the coal plants, and we're essentially using coal power to do the to power the servers that are doing the Bitcoin mining. Yep. So you might think, well, I don't really like this happening, but like all your products made from coal when it's out there, it's exactly the same thing. You know, what's the CO2 emissions of all Apple's product? What's the CO2 emissions of other product that gets in there if they start doing Bitcoin mining side by side? What's interesting about America right now with Bitcoin mining is that they're doing a lot with flaring of gas. So there's there's the natural flaring of gas, and now they're actually getting units. They're capturing this excess flaring of gas putting into the Bitcoin mining because essentially the, the energy source or the electricity is the variable cost in Bitcoin mining. So if we wanted to do Bitcoin mining, you get a container, you basically put in about 800 servers in it. You have the thing Bitcoin mining all day long. You know, you put a big uh, lock on the door, depends if your thing's in Kentucky or not, and someone's going to try and steal all your stuff. But ultimately, that's the way it's set up, people. And then what you're doing is, and what's interesting and why they want to do it in oil projects is you can put these units right next to your, you know, producing asset 
And then you've got free land, so it sa saves the cost for that. You're capturing the flaring of gas. These things are already connected to the grid. The What they're doing with green Bitcoin mining is rather than the electricity and the way they're normally doing it as well is they're still pulling electricity from the grid it's a bit like solar panels in your house and yeah. what they'll do is they'll put solar panels on it and then they'll do a sort of wind turbine that's doing that as well my brother-in-law's he's got a small wind turbine business that makes mobile wind turbines he's getting involved in green bitcoin mining so they're creating a electricity and they're feeding it back onto the grid so essentially in the same way your solar panel does this is you know most people aren't going completely off grid you know you might have solar panels in your house but if there's a blackout there's a blackout and you're going to be out because you're not holding the power here so it's a bit like a circular system i'm creating electricity from my solar panels i'm feeding it onto the grid sdg and e are buying a tenth of what they're selling it back to you don't know how that system sort of works but it seems to make them lots of money so that's the system that they're working right now but this with green bitcoin mining this is what we're starting to do so I've seen massive solar plants now as well. So now they're taking Bitcoin mining, the mining of different cryptocurrencies for NFTs. They're connecting it to solar farms. They're connecting it to big wind farms. And essentially, that's what we're going to be able to do. It's where does the electricity uh, come from to used for the creation of Bitcoin. So people need to realize it's not just Bitcoin's all this bad for the environment. We're using lots of electricity for it. And where does that electricity actually come from? And I think that's the thing that people need to understand. So, you know, we've got a, a solar lease now in Colorado that we've acquired for 30 years with the intention to start doing um, green Bitcoin mining down there. And there's a, a company that started in that area as well. So we chose specifically there because there is green bitcoin mining going on so this is something we're going to want to do going forward so it's it's but it's interesting just as a sort of test case of what's happening and all as uh, garrett said all this technology is just at its very infancy and you know bitcoin's taken all this time to essentially start to become mainstream and you know suddenly we've got these other use cases on the blockchain that's not bitcoin and this is just the start of it and what i'm talking about in tokenization of energy assets and creating nfsts and what garnet's talking about is carbon tracking it's the blockchain that's allowed us to do this on a granular level and take this information and adopt it out there as well which i think's you know so interesting for the the market space itself you know so so, and a final thing we all normally do, you know, it's always good if Dave Rogers in for this one, but, you know, but we're not here just now. So I'm going to basically, uh, let's see if I can share the screen. Here we go. So chewing the cud, we talk about some topical bit of information out there right now. John, and we're going to talk about not the war in Ukraine, not the uh, inflation going to 8.5%. You know, it's 30% on meat right now. So what is actual inflation right now? 30% on your beef, 8.5% according to the government, I think is somewhere in between. You know, it's a war in Ukraine. It's horrible what's happening out there with what Russia's doing there. There's gas shortages. We've just come out of COVID. But what's making the news right here in America right now is Johnny Depp and Amber. What's your thoughts on this thing, Garrett? Well, you know, it it was it's one of those things that I wouldn't normally pay attention to. Um, I wouldn't normally pay attention to it had I not, you know, had this event not gotten the media coverage that it did. I mean, I, I don't think I've heard anything about Johnny Depp 
for I mean, I heard anything I heard about him in the past couple of years had to do with this. And, you know, it's like one thing or another. I, you know, somebody like me just doesn't really care. Um, but then this starts to make the news. And, you know, I, you know, there's like just bits and pieces from this, you know, defamation trial making the uh, making the news, you know, him claiming that, you know, she had, uh, you know, d- done some things, you know, like this and that that were pretty embarrassing. Uh, it, it, it was funny to watch. It's hilarious to watch just, you know, which is what was once a very prolific career in film for Johnny Depp kind of just degenerate into um, this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it is amazing to watch right now. What I liked is, the, like, some of the images of, like, you know, he, he's been in a sort of three-day bender. They're talking about his glass of wine, ladies and gentlemen. His glass of wine that he had is, like, a bit this big. They're actually, if you go on online right now, I was going to bring it up, but I'll have to take it off, is uh, it, it, the Johnny Depp glass of wine. So if you want to have one glass of wine a day, ladies and gentlemen, I think it takes about two and a half bottles, you know? <laughs> So it's, uh, but yeah, it, it definitely, at first I didn't really want to watch it, but now I'm sort of just like being hooked into it. It's like the sort of OJ Simpson trial. You just, you can't get away from it, especially live in California there as well. And, he's, and then today, honestly, New York, it was um, all the problems. And I know that the New York Post it's you know it, there's problems with that newspaper you know i think it's part of the old uh yeah but anyway the front page story today was about johnny depp uh, taking gummy bears to the uh, court case and whether the judge is going to allow him to keep making little drawings and gummy bears on his eating gummy bears during the court case so so stuff like that ladies and gentlemen we've got to keep there i wonder if we can we'll just go back and i'm, I'm just going to look up and see if i can find this johnny depp glass of wine that i just thought was brilliant today johnny depp glass of wine Give me two seconds. It's an absolute beauty. So uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's all the memes. If you go on to, um, let's see if we. Oh, you can't. You can't actually. I don't think we've got one there as well. I forgot he actually did. Um, oh, he's done so many good films. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, it's just like there's a lot uh, of you know great films that he did, and it's just um, at this point, I. I I can't even remember the last time he got cast for a role. And I mean, this is, um, it's looking like it's probably, yeah, I, I, I even forgot about that. It's, that's funny. Yeah, I, I forgot, but yeah, yeah. So it's actually that, that movie, I'm going to rewatch yeah. that movie. Uh, what's that fear and loathing Las Vegas? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> funny yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, yeah. I got a pair of those sunglasses. That's hilarious. Yeah. So that, I think that's just a, a real life. Basically he's lived yeah. a pretty good life. Anyway, I was looking, he, he basically has like a bit tw- at one point they said he was, his wine budget was around about $240,000 a month. <laughs> wow that's that's a lot of wine you know it's obviously good bottles of wine you know to get to that fee but certainly two hundred and forty thousand dollars a month wine budget you know i mean if when everyone's coming to do their like monthly budgets and what they're going to do johnny depp well he obviously doesn't keep a monthly budget you know i mean but you know he might be doing the one now so anyway two hundred and forty thousand dollars a month that's uh that has to be up there with a record anyway you know i mean I think you might have uh, Pelosi is the only one who's running close, you know. So, 
So anyway, well, that's great. It's been great for Garrett. That's us on for an hour here, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks very much for everyone who tuned in to watch it live. We yeah. will uh, upload it onto Spotify and onto the Apple Podcasts as well. And then everyone else, um, thank you. You've been watching Boom It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.